Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. friend named Tommy Lewis. He grew up uh, much like I did in the home of an Assembly of God pastor. And you know, growing up in a pastor's home, man, you see a lot of crazy stuff. You see a lot of things. And Tommy used to tell about a time that there was a young evangelist that came to their church to preach on a Sunday night. And uh, he was a fiery young evangelist, and I think he was wanting to make, to make a, a good impression. And, and, I, and I think he probably was trying a little too hard. Uh, but he got to the end of his sermon and uh, told the people that night, hey, I believe God wants me to anoint your pastor, my friend Tommy's dad. I believe God wants me to anoint him with oil. And so he asked someone to bring him some anointing oil. He asked uh, Pastor Lewis to come forward. And they started looking for some anointing oil. Can you believe it? In an Assembly of God church, they couldn't find any anointing oil anywhere. So in those days, the podium used to be a piece of furniture. It was a big wooden structure. And a lot of times on the inside, it would have shelving and, and some doors. You wouldn't see it from your vantage point. But it was there really um, as a catch-all to hide all the stuff that was on stage you didn't want anybody to see. And so he opens it up and starts looking for anointing oil. He's pulling out old old hymn books and, and uh, old broken guitar strings and stuff like this. And, and to save his life, he couldn't find any anointing oil he finally comes out, this is, uh, this is the absolute truth, he came out with a can of pledge furniture polish and starts reading the ingredients and says, oh yeah, there's oil in here. And he walked up and literally sprayed pledge on the pastor's forehead and prayed for him. And afterwards, my friend Tommy, who's always been a little canai, he walked up to his dad, he said, dad, when that preacher prayed for you, I don't know what you felt, but I'm pretty sure I can see my reflection in your forehead, Dad. This is week four of a series that we're calling Shine. We've been talking about the, faith, the fact that real faith shines, that there's a glow to godliness within our life. And in, in this installment of this series, I really want us to lean into what I think that glow or that shine really generates from, where, where it's generated from. I, I want to talk to you today about the glory of God. Now, that's not unfamiliar terminology to anybody that's been around the Bible or been around church at all. The Bible has a lot to say about the glory of God. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, New Testament alike, it mentions the glory of God. And, um, and then it, we pick up on that and, you know, uh, Christianity kind of has its own language. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we use words that nobody else uses. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about the glory of God. You may have yourself from time to time just said, oh, glory to God. Or in, in maybe in your time of expressing your worship, oh, Lord, we give you all the glory. And that's good. I appreciate that. But the truth is, I, I don't know that, that all of us really, I, I, don't, I don't think most of us really know what the glory of God is. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I can completely explain to you today what the glory of God is. I find that this term glory is a lot like the term love. We're all familiar with it. 
But it's hard to explain, isn't it? It's really hard to define. However, you know when you experience it. When you experience love, you know it's love and you know it's real. Um, it, it affects your feelings, but it's not limited by any means to your feelings, right? And glory is much like that. Again, we can't always exactly explain what we're describing when we talk about the glory of God, but boy, we know when we've experienced it, right? And again, it's something that transcends just our feelings, but boy, you can really feel it when the glory of God is upon a moment that you're in, a place that you're in. We, um, we see Moses in Exodus chapter 33 crying out to God for a glimpse of his glory. And I'd like to read that prayer, Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. So what we see in this exchange between Moses and God is that the glory of God is always connected to the goodness of God. And that the name of the Lord was meant to reflect what glory is. In other words, God has attached his name to all that glory is. And so I believe with all my heart today, each one of us, like Moses, should be crying out to know God's glory, to see God's glory, to experience the glory of the Lord. If you've been around church at all, if you've been around the Bible taught at all, you've probably heard this term Shekinah. It's a Hebrew word that actually describes the dwelling of God's glory. When God's glory rests upon a place, a person, or a moment, it's referred to as Shekinah. One more time, can I just say, all of us should be going after the Shekinah glory of God. We should want to know His presence. As a congregation here, as a church family, we should be asking God to let Crossroads Church be a place where the Shekinah glory of God abides, where every time we gather, we're going to know His presence and experience His glory. Y'all with me on that? We need to go after the glory of God like Moses did. And, um, and what I want to do with the next few minutes that we have together is try to give us all a little bit better understanding of what glory is, and to see all of us leave here today with a greater desire. I'm, I'm talking to Cajun, so uh, an envie for the glory of God, that we could all have a greater desire to experience the glory of God than we ever have before. Y'all with me so far on that? I want to do three things. I, I want to make three observations with you about the glory of God that I think will achieve that. I think we'll understand his glory a little bit better, and I think we'll all desire it more if we just kind of lean into these three ideas. The first one is this. The glory of God is revealed. You cannot know God's glory. You cannot experience God's glory unless God chooses to reveal it to you. And so if you've never experienced the glory of God, it's simply because his glory hasn't been revealed to you. It's, it's not that glory doesn't exist. It's not that glory isn't shared with individuals. It's just simply you've not had his glory revealed to you yet. And that means all the more that you should be crying out to him, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. God, I want to see your glory. Because the glory of God is revealed. 
Our prayer should be like Moses. God, give me your glory. Show me your glory. It's the only way we're ever going to really have faith that shines. A.W. Tozer said this, and if you don't get anything I've said all day long, if you just wrap your heart around this one truth, I promise you, it will have been worth your trip to church. Here's what Tozer said. He said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to say that one more time, and I want, you to, I want you to hear that with your heart. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For some of us, when, when we think of God, when we think of the idea of God, what we think of is just some myth, some fairy tale that weak-minded people believe in order to use as a crutch to get by in life. And if that's what you think of when you think of God, you've never beheld His glory. Because nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe you're here today, and when you think of God, you think of this great cosmic power, this ruler that's mad at everybody and just ready to just smush you out as soon as he gets a chance, you don't know the glory of God. Because again, what we see in that exchange between Moses and God is that God's glory is always connected to God's goodness. God is a good God. He's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. He's a saving God, a healing God. He's a God that loves us so much. And what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If our faith is ever going to have a shine to it, if, if we're ever going to have that, that glow, that godliness exudes from us, then we've got to know the glory of God. We see that when Moses experienced it and God showed him his glory there on the mountaintop, he came back down shining. He came back down to the people of Israel glowing, so much so they couldn't even stand to look upon him. His face shone with the glory of God so powerfully, they literally had to put a veil over his face because his face was shining after being in the glory of God. And just in case you don't mistake the idea that maybe that's just an Old Testament thing that happened, we see that it happened in the New Testament as well. For instance, the very first Christian martyr in the early church was a guy named Stephen, just a deacon in the church. He's out one day preaching to a bunch of people. And as he's preaching to them, his face begins to shine with a radiance. He began to glow because of the glory of God upon him and upon that moment. I want to I state again, the glory of God is revealed. And the glory of God can be revealed to us. If we'll just allow God to reveal to us his glory, he absolutely will. Let me just give you some idea of how God reveals his glory. First of all, we see God reveals his glory through creation. All you need to do is just pay attention. If you just open your eyes and you look at creation around you, it, it is a demonstration of the glory of God. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. I'm, I'm always amused when someone proposes the idea that you, you can't really 
um, you can't really appreciate science and believe in God. The truth is, the more science teaches us, the more I believe in God. When I begin to see the vastness of his creation, when I begin to see the complexity of his creation, if you ever take the time to just read an article about the makeup of human existence, the DNA, and how it all works. It, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And what does it speak to? It speaks to a creator who is glorious. The more we get to know about the universe, the more we know this didn't just happen. There was divine design behind it all. It speaks to the glory of God. It's beauty. It's vastness. It's complexity. All points to the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says it like this. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. All of the complexity and the beauty and the splendor and majesty of his creation could, it should cause us to want to know the creator. When we behold his glory, it should make us want to know his glory. We had a, uh, a trip to Hawaii just kind of fall in our lap a few weeks ago. Um, we've never had that high up on our bucket list, uh, even though travel is my wife's love language uh, Hawaii is just not a place that we really wanted to see that much. Uh, we thought maybe we'd get around to it at some point, but it wasn't real high on our list. But again, the trip was practically given to us, and when we got there, we saw what all the hubbub's about. Because, oh my word, it is absolutely stunning. Every direction you turn, the beauty is just jaw-dropping. And we spent all week in Maui just pointing to the majesty, the splendor, the beauty of God's creation. And it spoke to us about the glory of God. The second way God reveals his glory is through his son, Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but Jesus coming to this earth was God's way of saying, here I am, get to know me. It was God revealing his glory. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sin, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. What's the Bible saying? Jesus reveals the glory of God. Where creation demonstrates the glory of God, Jesus facilitates it. Jesus gives us access to it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when God met with Moses, of course, he gave them the laws that would govern God's people. And, and, um, and, he, and he also gave Moses a system of worship for his people to engage in. And in that system of worship, they had a tent of meeting that would eventually become the temple that Solomon built. But in that tent of meeting and in that temple, there was a distinction made between the commonplace where people like us would gather and the holies of holy where the presence of God would abide. And there was a great veil that hung between those two places. And it signified to everyone entering that place, hey, God's presence, his holiness, you can't go in there. 
You cannot go in there as sinful humanity. You can't go into the presence of God. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but on the day that Jesus hung on the cross and died for our sins, the Bible said that veil in the temple there in Jerusalem was torn from the top to the bottom. And it's careful to point out it was torn from the top to the bottom because it wasn't man that tore the veil. Man couldn't have torn the veil. It was God that tore that veil in two. Why did he tear it in two? He tore it in two to say to each one of us, now we can come boldly into the throne room of grace and find help in our time of need. We can know the presence of God. We can know the glory of God. We can experience Him in the fullness of His glory. Can somebody say, thank God today? Listen, where creation demonstrates the glory of God, Jesus facilitates the glory of God. He makes it accessible. If you think about it, Jesus was the ultimate answer to Moses' prayer. God, show me your glory. John chapter 1 and verse 14 records that the Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh, took up residence among us. We saw His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. I want you to notice that glory is always associated with goodness and it's always associated with grace and with truth. When we pray as Moses, God, Show me your glory. We're saying, God, show me your goodness. We're saying, God, show me your grace. We're saying, God, show me your truth. And that brings me to the next way that God reveals his glory. He reveals his glory through creation and through his son Jesus. But he also, number three, reveals his glory through the Bible. So many of us every day walk right past a Bible laying there on our shelf collecting dust. And we don't even realize that we're ignoring God himself. He and his word are one. And if you really want to know him, if you want to behold his glory, all you got to do is open up that book, walk through those pages, and experience the glory of God. But how many times do we neglect that? Do we neglect that opportunity to really know, really understand, and really experience the glory of God? Jesus said this to the Pharisees in John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. Every time we open the book, every time we read His Word, it's going to point us to God. It's going to point us to God's glory, which is always connected to His goodness and His grace and His truth. Come on, let's get to know God. Let's open up the Bible. Let's let God's word have a place in our life. It's why we put our growth track together. And and next month, we're going to kick off a new semester where you can go through a growth track that was created to help you understand the glory of God and experience the glory of God, to understand God's word and how to apply it to your life. Listen, we want to see you really grow in your faith and become all that God has called you to be. You know, Proverbs 25 and verse 2 said, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of a king to search out a matter. And what we need to be searching out is the truth of God's word that will introduce us to the glory, the goodness, the grace, the truth of Almighty God. God reveals His glory. He reveals it through creation, through His Son Jesus, and through the Bible. The next thing that I want you to see is that God's glory isn't only revealed, it's also reflected. God's glory is reflected. When we go to God and we say, God, show me your glory. Let me know and experience the glory of God. We can 
then reflect that glory to the darkness of the world around us. And that's what this series has been all about. When I've talked to you about a faith that really shines, I've I've talked to you about lighting up the darkness around us. We can only do that as we reflect the glory of God. Think of it, we've already mentioned creation and all of its vastness. Think about the sun and the moon. The moon has no real light of its own to provide us. It simply reflects the light of the sun. And we ourselves have no light to help anybody groping with darkness right now. But if we reflect the glory of God, we can shine a light in the darkest of places. And they can see who God is and what God is capable of doing in their life. God's glory is Reflected. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, All of us who have had that veil removed. And what Paul's referencing here is that veil they put over Moses' face. When he came down off that mountain, after experiencing the glory of God, shining, man, just radiating, beaming, they put that veil over his face. And Paul uses that allegorically to say, There's a veil over the mind of everyone who doesn't know God. Satan puts that veil in place so you can't know God and experience God. But when you place your faith in Christ, that veil is lifted. That veil is removed. And we can actually know God, see God, experience God. And so Paul says all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. Hey, church, isn't that what this is all about? Becoming more and more and more like God? Can I tell you, we're never going to be like God until we experience His glory. The reason we need to go after the glory of God like Moses did is so that we can change and be like Him. And that's exactly what happens when we experience the glory of God. Let me use Stephen once again as a reference. Stephen was that first martyr of the Christian church. And after his sermon, they begin to stone him to death. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 7. As they were stoning him, Stephen said, Lord, I commit my spirit into your hands. And then he said, don't hold this against them, God. Does that sound vaguely familiar to anybody? If you know the story of the cross, you know that as Jesus was on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The glory of God had made Stephen more like God than he had ever been before. And I don't know about you, but I want to be more like God. And so I want to know his glory. I want to be changed by his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Come on, he covered all the bases, didn't he? He says, whatever you eat or drink or whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, he said, do it all to the glory of God. Now I told you, if you didn't get anything else I said, hang on to that Tozer quote, but I'm going to give you one more, okay? If you don't get anything out of the sermon, I hope you will really wrap your heart around that Tozer quote that I gave you, and I hope you'll wrap your heart around this truth. Listen to me. Everything we do either reflects God's glory or robs God's glory. Everything you do all day long, every decision you make, the way you treat people and interact with people, come on, y'all. Everything we do, we're either reflecting the glory of God through that decision, that action, or we're robbing God of 
His glory. What a dangerous thing to do, to rob God of His glory. We're either reflecting His glory or robbing it. What are you saying, Jeff? I'm saying you can't gossip to the glory of God. You can't steal to the glory of God. You can't commit adultery to the glory of God. You can't cuss to the glory of God. You can't get drunk to the glory of God. You can't gamble to the glory of God. Everything we do either reflects his glory or robs it from him. And I don't want to rob God. And that's why everything I do, everything I do, everything I say, every decision I make, it has to be measured by this equation. Will God get glory from this? Look at me, because that's why we exist, to bring glory to God. And God forbid that we would rob him. In fact, God challenges us through his prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verse 8, as he speaks through the prophet in first person. He says, will a man rob God? We've got to answer that question. The truth is we have to answer that question every day. Will a man rob God? So let's talk real quickly about how to reflect the glory of God. First of all, you do that by trusting God. Put your trust, your faith in Christ. Live for him, not for yourself. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. The reason we put a growth track in place is when our faith grows stronger, we glorify God. We want your faith to grow stronger. So we put this growth track in place because we want you to give glory to God. And it's faith that does that. It's trusting God that really does that. In fact, through the years of serving the Lord, I've known so many people that have trusted God for his promises and they've been healed or they've been delivered or God's came through for them in a, in a miraculous way to provide for them in some way. Again and again and again, God has answered prayer and the faith of his people and he received glory from those healings, from, from all those miraculous ways that he moved. They gave glory to God by trusting God. But can I tell you that I've known other people that have trusted God for his promise in their life and never saw it on this side of eternity. And yet, they never doubted God. Their faith never wavered. They went on and served God knowing, listen, God doesn't owe me anything. And they continued to give him praise. And i got to believe that's even a greater form of faith than getting everything on your wish list. When you serve him despite whether he's done a single thing more for you than saving you, listen, you're giving him a great faith that really glorifies him. Can we glorify God by trusting God no matter what's going on in our life. Number two, we, we reflect his glory when we bear fruit. And in case you don't know what that means, go to Galatians chapter 5 today and you'll discover that the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus is love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, patience, self-control. And this is what brings glory to God. When we live out that love, that joy, that peace, that gentleness, that kindness, all of the above, we bring glory to God. Jesus put it this way in John 15, verse 8. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Your fruitfulness is a reflection of the glory of God. Number three, we reflect the glory of God as worshipers. When you become a worshiper, when you just worship God and thank God and give God praise. You're glorifying him. Psalm 50 verse 23 said, whoever offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me. Now remember, you're either reflecting his glory or robbing him of glory. So when you don't worship him, 
You're robbing him. Because praise is due the Lord. We owe him our praise. The only reason there's breath in your lungs right now is because God's been merciful to you. And that's why the scriptures said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And so we glorify God as worshipers. And then number four, we glorify God. We reflect his glory when we pray. That's why we started out our year this year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because we're hoping that all of us will adopt that as a lifestyle where every day we get up and start our day in the presence of God. Because our prayer life is one of the ways we reflect his glory. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, they call on me. He says, then call on me when you are in trouble and I will rescue you and you will give me glory. God's going to get glory from your prayer life. What I see when I study the scriptures is I see that glory is revealed. And I see that glory is reflected. And then lastly, I see that the glory of God is reserved. It's his. Doesn't belong to me. Come on, somebody. It's his and it's his alone. He speaks through the prophet in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. And he says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else nor share my praise with idols. The way we sin is through our idolatry. And anything we give glory to that isn't God is a form of idolatry. You may be pushing back on the idea of idolatry right now, saying, man, we come on, we live in the United States of America, Jeff, this is the 21st century, ain't no idolatry going on. Anything you glorify over God is an idol to you. America has made sex an idol. America has made money an idol. It's made status and power and position idols. And listen, God said, you shall have no other gods before me, no other gods beside me. Our our worship belongs to him and to him alone. The glory belongs to him. What we all need to do is we need to join in the chorus found in Psalm 115 verse 1, where the people of God cry out and they say, not to us, O Lord, Not to us, O Lord, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Can you join in that chorus with me right now? Say it. Not to us, O Lord. The glory doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to me. God, it's yours. It's yours alone. Again, we're either reflecting his glory or we're robbing it. Let me close today by warning you, robbing God's glory Always sets us up for judgment. You ain't getting away with nothing. You may think you are, but I'm telling you. Robbing God of his glory will always set you up for judgment. In Acts chapter 12, we see such an example of this. As Herod, a ruler there in Jerusalem, gives a speech that everybody praises and everybody begins to chant together that this man is a God. And instead of stopping it, he takes it on himself. And I want you to see what happens in Acts 12, verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Somebody say, that's a bad way to go. That is 
the kind of judgment that takes place when we rob God of His glory. Our cry today should be, God, show me your glory. Our cry today should be, God, help me reflect your glory. And God, help me reserve the glory for you and for you alone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to take just a moment and give you an invitation to accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that and you have no assurance in your heart that you're right with God, ready to meet God in eternity, I want you to consider a couple of things. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. You know, it's the one thing we all have in common. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. The scripture says that the price of our sin is separation from God. Now, God doesn't want us separated from Him. He wants to connect with us. It meant so much to Him that He sent His own Son, Jesus, to come to this earth and to die on the cross for our sins. He rose again, and now the Bible says if we place our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. We can be made right with God, and we can have a brand new life here and now and an eternal life when this life is over. Again, if you have no assurance of that, you can. You simply need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The scripture says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God loves you and he's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on him. Why don't we do that right now? Let's call on God together by praying a very simple prayer. Repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you and I don't want that. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me and rose again. And through faith in Jesus, I believe my life can change. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive all my sin, and change my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I don't live for me anymore or the world anymore. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And God, I thank you right now, even as I pray, according to your promise, my sins are forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you. Uh, All you'll need to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to the number that's on your screen. Or uh, just go to the description below and you'll see a link that you can click there. And someone will connect with you and give you some next steps in your brand new faith in Jesus Christ. We're so excited that you've accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord today. Congratulations and God bless you.